Good morning, everyone. At the end of last week's message, I asked you all to think about what you'd be doing this time tomorrow, what you'd be doing in your usual schedule on Monday morning. And I challenged you at that moment to be conscious of Christ's presence with you and to ask him into whatever it was you were doing. And then I invited you to share that with me via text. And I want to thank everyone who did so. My point was to try and get us to see that Jesus desires to be part of your everyday, not just your Sunday. That his presence has relevance to the ordinary routines of life, if you're open to him. It was so encouraging to me to read your stories of how you are actively engaged in, in living out your faith, sometimes in difficult circumstances, and sometimes just in the normal schedule of the day. Here's what one person wrote. This week is the start of my busy season, and I'm unusually stressed, but not today, because I felt God here. That's great. We all need that kind of boost from the Lord. And here's another one from a teacher. Period two, middle school. Teaching and investing in young students requires patience, instincts, discernment, and resolve. My hope is that God's character would shine through me and that I'd be able to live a life that demands investigation. By faith, I trust that God is at work in this classroom, in my life, and in the lives of my students. We all need that kind of faith to see God at work right around us and actually through us. And this one I really love. Hi, Pastor. I'm sending you an account of using faith over fear. I had a big presentation to give today. Just about everything went wrong. The notes I made to speak from got soaked in water before I left for work, and even the presenter I brought was not really doing what I expected. So I continued in faith, praying as you instructed on Sunday, consciously not giving in into the fear of failure. And happily, it went well. Many thanks for the inspiring sermon from God's Word. I love that. Consciously not giving in to fear. Consciously choosing faith. That's exactly what I would like for all of us to get out of this current message series that we're doing on the Minor Prophets. A conscious daily connection with the strength and the hope that Christ provides. Whatever your situation or circumstances, to consciously choose hope because of the promises of God's word for you. And today we're into the prophet Zephaniah. But instead of giving you an overview of his book like I've done so far with the other minor prophets, I want to focus on a character quality that all the prophets had, but particularly struck me about Zephaniah. Because I think we all need what he had. We all need what he had because he had courage. Courage to live for God in the face of trouble, tragedy, and even torment. Zephaniah's message is very similar to some of the other prophets we've already looked at. So I don't want to just go over the same territory all over again. You know, it's been said that you can summarize the message of all the prophets by two contrasting themes. First, things are going to get really, really, really bad. And then second, things are going to get really, really, really good. It's a little bit more complex than that, but that basically describes the way God's plan begins to unfold throughout history and into the future. Things are going to get really bad for Israel and Judah because they've turned their backs on God, refused his mercy, so God is giving them over to being conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And that will be very bad. But God will preserve a faithful remnant. And from that remnant, a Messiah will come. He'll come first to us to save us from our sins as the Lamb of God, the suffering servant, 
who dies to free us from the bondage and slavery of sin. And then he will come again as the conquering king, the Lion of Judah, who will reshape the whole universe and usher in his kingdom where there is no death, no suffering, no tears. That's the really good part. Zephaniah particularly talks about that second part, what comes after on the day of the Lord. And if you'd like to study up on the New Testament parallel to the message of Zephaniah, you should just read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus gives his version of the same events. Jesus has the exact same apocalyptic message as Zephaniah. And so we've already heard the basic message of Zephaniah. In chapter 1, he outlines this judgment that is coming to Judah and ultimately into the future to the world, the whole world, when the Messiah comes on that final day. In chapter 2, he gets very specific about some enemy nations around Judah and what's going to happen to them. And then in chapter 3, he moves towards this positive and ultimate justice, this goodness, this sustaining hand of God over all things. But like us, Zephaniah lives in the in-between. He lives in the space between God's promises of full redemption and when it actually is going to happen. And he trusted that God's promises were true. And that's why he could live with a sense of hope. He didn't know when the day of the Lord's return would come. And Jesus plainly tells us that we're in the same boat. We don't know the day of our, uh, or the hour or the timing of Christ's return. Now, over the centuries, lots of people have speculated on when Christ is going to return. Lots of people throughout history thought they had it all figured out, that the circumstances of their day made it certain that Christ's return was, was imminent. Some gained large followings of true believers who were also convinced that they knew the exact day of the Lord when it was going to happen. I had a conversation with an Uber driver in Boston a few weeks ago. He was sure we're in the end times. That's what his pastor preached. Maybe we are, but it's important to remember that every single person who has ever predicted the second coming of Christ has been 100% wrong. Jesus himself told us, we won't know. Matthew 24, starting with verse 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, Jesus said, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive many, if possible, even the elect. And then if you jump down to verse 36, Jesus continues. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father knows. Could Jesus be any clearer? I don't think so. Then verse 42. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. I think I'll stick with what Jesus said over the apocalyptic pastor of that Uber driver's church. Maybe you should read his Bible a little more carefully. So we're all in the same boat. We all live in the middle in the meantime. We know Christ will come in perfection and power and majesty and triumph. We know the end of the story, but we still have to live in the here and now where evil is still rampant, where disease and death still cause pain, where suffering is a reality, where frustration and futility abound. We know the end, but we're still in the middle. We know in the end God's team is going to win, but we don't know how much longer till that whistle blows. So we keep on playing. And friends, that requires courage. Think with me for a moment just about the job of a prophet like Zephaniah. 
It was his job to speak the most unpleasant subject imaginable to people, the judgment of God. Now, I know we live in an age where nobody wants to hear anything about that. I mean, about judgment, hell, anything like that. Zephaniah's age wasn't really any different than ours. The people of Judah did not want to hear his message or the message of any of the other prophets, quite frankly. In fact, Zephaniah was small potatoes compared with prophets like Jeremiah, who was his contemporary and his cohort. They prophesied at the same time and in the same city of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah was one of those big dog prophets. I mean, his book had 52 chapters, you know, compared to little old Zephaniah with only three. But the people hated Jeremiah and his message, hated it so much that the king eventually had him thrown into a cistern, an old underground well. That was his prison. And Jeremiah just languished in the mud at the bottom. And if they treated Jeremiah that way, guess what would happen to little old Zephaniah if he keeps up saying the same things that Jeremiah had been saying? Zephaniah put his life on the line to fulfill God's calling on his life, and that takes courage. Courage. I would, I would like to live a life filled with courage. Doesn't that sound good to live courageously? I mean, looking at our world, thinking of the huge pile of problems we're all going to face in the weeks ahead, Aren't we all going to need a really healthy dose of courage? When we have synagogue shootings and other horrible acts of evil, aren't we all going to need a daily dose of courage? I think so. Courage is one of those character qualities that everyone admires, that everyone aspires to in one way or another, because courage, I mean, that's the stuff of epics and legends and heroes. We, we like heroes. As children, our minds are filled with images of heroes and superheroes who overcome every obstacle in the pursuit of justice or in protecting the ones that they love. They're, they're unstoppable, and we're attracted by that power, their decisiveness, the way they always come out on top. We lionize our heroes in movies and books and Halloween costumes, right? As a child, my all-time favorite Halloween costume was being the black-clad Zorro, who could always cut a Z with his sharp, razor-sharp sword. You know, that was his calling card. And I got into more than a little trouble for more than once leaving a Z on the wall with a magic marker. We want to be like our heroes. Think of the millions of people who, who daily pretend to live heroically in video games, living a courageous life, at least in a virtual world, where the risks are pretty minimal. But what about real life? Every generation needs courage. If you're a young person today, you're going to need a whole lot of courage to get through life. As parents, we want our kids to have courage because life is going to be hard, and we want them to be able to thrive in a hostile world. And courage is a big part of that. As Christians, if you go through the Bible, you'll see that courage is a quality that God wants his people to possess. I mean, courage is everywhere in the Old Testament and the New Think of the words of Moses to Joshua as he's kind of passing him the baton of leadership over Israel. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, your enemies. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. It's Deuteronomy 31, 36. Think of a young teenager David facing off against the hulking Goliath. Or, or think of Jesus standing before Pilate. God wants all his children to be people of courage. Uh, what did Jesus say to the disciples when he came to their boat in the storm, when he was walking on water? He said, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid, Matthew 14. Yes, courage is something God wants for all of us, 
But much of the way we look at courage has been romanticized in some kind of a, a mythical quality. Courage is seen as some super spiritual quality that's not for ordinary Christians, as though, it, as though it's just for the elite class, out of reach of the ordinary mortals, you know, like you and me. The truth is, most of us will never have an opportunity for some grand act of courage. We won't be called upon to perform that extravagant feat of heroism or physical risk. We won't be the ones charging into the burning building. We won't slay the dragon or rescue the princess. We won't save a child from an abductor or pull someone away from a moving train. Most of us will never have the opportunity for that kind of dramatic action. Our courage is going to have to come in much smaller bites. In fact, I think true courage has little to do with grand heroic acts, but has everything to do with the choices you and I make every day, moment by moment through life. Like the courage of a couple that stayed married even when their relationship almost unraveled. Or the courage of a person fighting chronic illness or, or long-term pain. Or the courage of someone who stays true to their faith when others are putting tremendous pressure on them to compromise or just to walk away from Christ. Here's the first thing we need that's important to understand. Courage is different than being brave. A brave person faces a problem with, with no fear whatsoever. A brave person, you know, kind of spits in the face of danger. It's a Rambo, a Chuck Norris, who doesn't bat an eye even when the odds are overwhelming. That's not courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather taking action in the presence of fear. You see, fear can be a crippling emotion. We have this built-in instinct to fear. It's part of our inner brain self-defense mechanism. When we feel attacked, when we're in danger, when we feel threatened in any way, our fear mechanism kicks in. Fear triggers our fight-or-flight reaction. We either go on the, t uh, the attack or we run for cover. And we do this sort of 100 times a day at home, at work, at school, at church. People, uh, you know, we've talked about living by fear or faith last week. The one consistent factor that keeps people from experiencing a full life the way God wants to is fear. We fear being rejected, being inadequate, being criticized, being abandoned, being mocked, being belittled. We fear losing, losing face, losing income, losing our possessions, losing love, losing our health, losing life itself. And all our fears come to the surface when we face conflict or crisis or criticism. Like a volcano, something happens that opens up a deep hole into our lives and we look inside and we see this big lava pit filled with all our fears for ourselves, for our children, for the people we love. Fear can cripple life. Courage means facing those fears because we have faith in God's promises. Courage means facing our fears and acting for what is right even when you are afraid. Courage means being gripped by immense fear, but you do the right thing anyway because you know Christ is with you. Courage means being willing to, to step into the fray in spite of all our fears. It means being willing to go into uncharted waters like an explorer. Every time you face a challenge, when you face something you fear, courage is what grows in your heart. Courage means facing our fears and going into places that are uncomfortable and even painful because we know it's the right thing to do. You see, in this meantime, before Christ fulfills his final promise on the day of the Lord, your one true mission in life is to do the best you can with what you've been given in serving Christ. Do the best you can, let God do the rest. That's courage. 
Now, I don't think we're supposed to go out and look for situations in order to prove our courage. I think real courage in Christ rises to the surface when needed. When the circumstances demand a courageous response, that's when we call upon Christ and he supplies the strength and courage we need. I think of Andrew Brunson, who for the last 23 years was the pastor of a little Presbyterian church called Izmir Resurrection Church in the country of Turkey. In 2016, he was arrested by the Turkish secret police on trumped-up charges because he's saying that he'd aided terrorists because he tried to preach the gospel to the Kurdish ethnic minority and to refugees along the border between Turkey and Syria. He was convicted, sentenced to life in prison. In jail, he was beaten, mistreated, intimidated. His captors tried to force him to convert to Islam. He became a bargaining chip for the Turkish government. And finally, due to continued pressure by the American government, he was released last month. He lost over 50 pounds during his imprisonment, and that's not a diet anyone would recommend. And his message when he was released was so simple. He said, I love Jesus, and I love Turkey. That's courage. Consider Asya Bibi, a young Christian mother in Pakistan. In 2010, she was accused of insulting the Prophet Muhammad during an argument with her neighbors. They were harvesting fruit, and when she took a break to get a cup of water, the others got upset because she used the cup, and to them that meant then they could no longer touch it because her faith as a Christian had made the cup unclean. In the argument that followed, the women said, well, she should just convert to Islam. And she refused, and the other woman claimed that she made offensive comments about the prophet. So she was beaten, and then arrested, and eventually sentenced to death. She always maintained her innocence, but it didn't matter. And so she spent the most of the last eight years in solitary confinement. Just last week, an appeals court finally overruled uh, the charge against her and set her free. And riots broke out, wanting her to be hung. She and her family are going to have to leave their home in Pakistan because of the death threats against them are very real. And all along, her simple testimony was this. I will not convert. I believe in my religion. I believe in Jesus Christ. She didn't seek it. She didn't want this to happen. But when it did happen, her hope in Christ sustained her. That's courage. Now, neither she nor Andrew Brunson were seeking to be courageous, but their circumstances thrusted upon them. And that's what courage is. When your circumstances require you to have the courage of a prophet, God will help you. Are there circumstances like that this week for you? Marianne Radmaker says this, Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is like a little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. One day life seems fine, the next day everything's upside down. Throws you a curveball, you get knocked off balance. How do we face each day? It is a battle between faith and fear. Fear paints your life with that negative aura, or faith tells you that a good God has your future well in hand. Faith that helps you to look your situation square in the eye and take that next step. Just take that one next step towards trusting that the Lord is with you. Take that next step, knowing that Christ is guiding you. Take that next step in courage and in hope and in faith. Zephaniah ends his book with a tremendous picture of hope. Even though his circumstances are dire and the world he knows is crumbling around him, he still paints a picture of great beauty and glory. He trusts in what God is ultimately doing, and he gives us this gem 
This is a verse to memorize, to, to keep in your heart. If you remember anything from Zephaniah, I hope it's this. Chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for this week we ask for courage. Courage just to step out in faith, to do the right thing when it's demanded of us, to do the thing that will point people towards Christ in a loving way, to take our faith seriously, Lord, and to be people who help to point other people in your direction, Lord. May we have the courage that we need for the facing of whatever comes our way this week because we trust that a good God is singing over us. We thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen.